All right. Man. Hey. Check this out. Man, that's one of my son's favorite uh, Christian rap songs right there. So part of me uh, wanted to play that uh, audio track because I think it has a great reminder that, man, every day that we live, we battle against the flesh, all right? But I also wanted to see what he does whenever he listens to Christian music when it has a little bass in it, all right? And so that's a little bit of a tease. Man, if y'all want to really hear how that thumps, then watch us leave in my Kia Soul on the way out of here, and we really had the volume up, all right? And so here's the thing. Not today, Satan. Man, that's, that's right. That's going to be the message today. That's the battle cry today because as Christ followers, man, that is so true of a reminder that every single day that we wake up, man, we have to decide, are we going to allow the Lord to lord over our life, all right? Man, we love a Savior. Man, we're glad that he came and saved us. Man, we're glad that he came and saved us from an eternal death and an eternal separation. But sometimes when it comes to lording over our life, we're like, nah, I got this. I'm going to do this my way. And that's not the right way. Man, sometimes we sin because it feels good. Man, sometimes we sin because it's enticing Man, we're lured to this trap, and we fall into this trap. You know, sometimes, man, we don't set the bar high enough, and we realize that, man, it sometimes is easier to live a sinful life than to live a life for Christ. This is one of those things that has been ingrained in us since the garden, way back in the beginning. But while living this type of life may be easier sometimes or may seem like it's more enticing sometimes, man, it is not fulfilling. Man, too many times I talk to the students and I'm like, man, we don't need to look at this list of things as things that we cannot do. Man, we need to look at this list of things that we don't have to do anymore because those things don't bring him glory and those things don't offer us true satisfaction. Y'all know, like, my son loves to snack. He could snack all day, like a morning snack and then a pre-lunch snack and then a post-lunch snack. And so sometimes we have to remind him, bro, listen, no, we don't want to do all those because we want him to actually eat the meal that matters, all right? The problem is if we allow him to snack all of those other times, man, that stuff is not sustaining, right? And so when he comes to the meal that matters, he doesn't have any room or any interest for it because he's been snacking on junk food the whole time. And sometimes I think that's true with our lives. Man, we don't need to fill our lives with stuff that doesn't matter, stuff that is not fulfilling. Man, we need to fill our lives with things of Christ. And we understand that, man, even though it may be easier to live a life of sin, Scripture makes it clear that living that type of life leads to separation from our God and ultimately a spiritual death. And so, Ridgecrest, we're called to live in the opposite direction. Man, not towards the world, but we're called to live towards Christ. We're called to live abundantly for the glory of God and have eternal life with him. And so we got to ask ourselves, man, how do we effectively fight back against sin? Man, if you're not asking yourself that on a daily basis, then you're not getting ready for the battle that you step into each and every day. And so we got to ask ourselves, like, how do we look at all the things that we struggle with and how do we come to a point where we're able to say enough is enough? Man, 
We've all had one of those days, right, where it feels like we are being attacked from every different angle, right? If you, if you have, like, just nod your head, all right? We don't need details. Some of y'all are nodding and you're saying, day? Man, I've had weeks like that. And then somebody else is saying, weeks? Man, I've had years like that. And so it's something that we can relate to, and we all know that feeling way too well, whether it's inside voices of doubts, insecurities, conflict with loved ones, worries, Man, Satan knows how to hit us where it hurts, and he's not afraid to do just that. But it's crazy for us to think that as Christ followers, we understand the covenant made by God and and, and the sacrifice of Christ that he endured for our salvation, yet we still allow Satan to have a foothold. We still allow him to twist the truth of love that God established from the beginning. So today... We're going to say, not today, Satan, all right? So today, we're going to be in James chapter 1, and we're going to be kind of breaking down verses 12 through 18. So, men, if you're there, give me a hootie hoo, and we'll go ahead and start reading it together, all right? All right, some people are there. Some of y'all still turning, all right? And so y'all get there. If you don't have it with you, man, there's a Bible in the pew that's right in front of you. Man, uh, you could check it out. James is on the right side of the Bible. Not that there's a wrong side, but it really is way on the right side of the Bible, all right? Go ahead and find your way there. If you need help, there's a table of contents. If you need a Bible, take it home with you. Uh, But here's the thing. We're going to go ahead and start reading in verse 12. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire... When it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. For every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So, man, when we start in that verse 12, man, we understand that, uh, man, he kind of concludes what he started in verses 1 through 12, talking about the different types of trials and tests that are going to come our way. Man, if you're familiar with the book of James and especially chapter 1, you know that, man, right in the first couple verses, he says, consider it joy. Man, like, find joy in your hearts when you have to face these trials and these tests because guess what? He's not saying if, he's saying when because they're coming our way. But see, I think we got to understand that in verse 13, he transitions from talking about trials to talking about temptations. And those are two different categories. And sometimes I think we get it twisted. Sometimes I think that we don't separate the two and we need to separate the two to understand this text today. So I'm going to give you three differences between trials and temptations. This is just a pre-sermon. All right, this is free right here. First things first, the originator. You got to ask, Where is this coming from? Because God tries us, but Satan tempts us. Two different things. 
Men, secondly, you got to think about the originator's intentions, all right? God tries us. Why does he try us? It says so in the previous verses. He says so that way we can become spiritually mature, all right? But Satan, on the other hand, he tempts us for evil purposes. Man, he's trying to kill, steal, and destroy everything that we have. And so the third thing is our response, and I think that's what's key today, man, trying to understand James's uh, letter right here. And, and, and here's the reason why. Because when we don't react to God's tests and trials that he puts our way, man, with enduring faith, then sometimes those things can become temptations to sin. And so James considers the potential of our failures when we don't follow through faithfully with the trials that God has put our ways, and then we fall into temptations. And so in today's text, I want to give you four things that I think we could take away. I'm going to give them all four, but then we'll break them down. So number one, as Christ followers, we need to be willing to reject the lie. Man, secondly, we need to be willing to realize the truth. All right, man, the third thing that we can get from this text is we need to recognize the danger. And then the last thing is we need to remember the victory. All right, we'll start in verse 13 to kind of unpack the first thing that we put on that list, and that's reject the lie. Men, as Christ followers, our first step is to reject the lie, to reject the lie of sin, but in particular right here, to reject the lie that God is to blame for our sin. Again, listen to what verse 13 says as you follow along. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Man, that's such a, a short verse. Man, we could plow through that verse. Like, if we're trying to read the whole Bible, man, we're reading through that verse, and, and we're skipping the truth that's in that verse. There's three parts of this verse that I think are so very important. First things first, we got to reject the lie that God is to blame for our sin. Here's the thing. Man, I don't believe that when James is writing this, when he uses that phrase, tempted by God, I don't think he's actually calling out and saying, God, you are the one to be blamed for my sin. How silly is that? How wrong would that be for us? But yet there's times that we do that. But man, uh, I think we can understand that. But basically, I think what he's saying is God sovereignly controls the situation that, we're, that we were tempted in. And so he's indirectly to blame for a person's sin. And we got to be careful with that too. Because James is saying, we are not even able to say that. Like, we can't blame God for our sin, but we cannot indirectly blame God for our sin, too. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. There's times that you say something, but you know that if you say it 100%, you're going down, right? So you kind of indirectly kind of work that in there, and then they say, whoa, what are you talking about? You're like, no, I didn't really say that. Yeah, you really did. All right? And, and, and we're not to do that with our Heavenly Father. Man, how do we know this? Because it's in Scripture. Man, way back from the beginning, Adam, you know, the first man created in Genesis 3.12, he tried to play that same game with God. He tried to accuse God indirectly causing him to sin. Listen to his response when called out about the bad choice that he made. Listen to this. He says, the woman who you gave to be with me. Like, like, God, okay, yes, I did this, but it was because the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. 
right? Man, he passed the blame off on multiple people, and one of those people being his heavenly father. Man, we're not to do that. Man, Adam discovered that that tactic does not work with God, and neither does it work when Satan whispers lies into our ears that say, blame God for your having brought about this temptation. Like, you need to blame God for putting you into this. No, we need to reject that lie. Man, we need to reject the lie that we've sinned because of the hereditary or the environment to which God has sovereignly assigned us to, all right? We need to stop indirectly placing that blame on God. Man, we need to reject the lie uh, that the reason that we got so angry was because God hadn't healed us from that high blood pressure yet. You know what I'm saying? See how we did that? Like, we're indirectly blaming God for something. We don't need to do that. We need to reject every lie that removes us from the responsibility of our own sins. We need to own up to what we've done, all right? Like Caleb just read in between uh, those two last songs, man, he read uh, the passage that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Man, as a believer, this ought to be the one that we memorize. This ought to be one that we hold close to our heart. This ought to be one that we put somewhere that we visit a lot. Maybe the bathroom mirror, maybe the refrigerator. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? So we need to put it there so we'd be reminded of a scripture because it says this in verse 13, like he read earlier, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Whoo, that's good. That's encouraging. You're not the only one struggling with what you're struggling with, but listen to what it says. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Man, as a Christ follower, maybe you've been walking this walk for a while. Maybe you've been running this race for a while, and you can think of, man, how you say that word? Specific times in your past where you found yourself being tempted, but if you look back, he probably gave you a way out. Did you choose it or did you continue on to pursue uh, what you were being enticed with? Man, we'll talk about that in a minute. But here's the thing. Man, if we fail the test, we have no right to blame him because he's done everything that he's needed to do to keep us from failing that test, all right? Man, he kind of goes on to give us a couple of reasons why it's wrong to blame God. Number one, it's inconsistent with his character. Man, we can't blame God for our sin because God cannot be tempted by evil. We can't blame him for that temptation because that's not God's doing. Like the, the literal wording for this is God is untemptable. All right, it doesn't sound so good in English, all right? But, but here's the thing, like God and evil have nothing to do with one another, right? Man, each being totally repugnant to the other, God is holy, 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 completely separate from anything and everything that is evil or unholy. Man, we see this to be true in Habakkuk 1, chapter 13, where Habakkuk cries out to God, and it says, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot even look it wrong. Listen to how he describes the characteristics of God. And we can't put blame on God because, man, that is inconsistent with his character. But the second thing is, still in verse 13, man, we can't blame God because it would be inconsistent with God's behavior. Like, not only is it inconsistent with his character, but it's inconsistent with his behavior. Man, it says boldly, he tempts no one. 
He doesn't do it. Man, it's inconsistent with his behavior when we try to put that blame on him. Think about this. Man, he sent his son to die in order to take away our sinfulness. Man, the idea that he would even for a moment might lead a believer into another sin for which his own son gave his life and suffered and died for, it's ludicrous. It doesn't make sense. But you know what? There's times that when you're growing up and you're having these conversations with your parents and you're trying to plead your case and you're trying to say, well, okay, see, what, ha- what had happened was then you realize how silly some of those things actually sound, right? Man, when we unpack this verse, man, it sounds so silly to blame God. And so here's the thing. That's why we're going to go to step two. Man, step one was we need to reject that lie that God is the one to blame. And then step two is we need to realize the real truth. All right, that's found in verse 14. Man, basically James haven't explained where our temptation does not come from. It doesn't come from God. Now he's going to explain where it does come from. And instead of pointing the finger at God and saying, why have you done this? Man, we need to turn that hand around and we need to tap ourselves on our chest because it's from our own lustful desires. Man, listen to what it says in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. First things first, like this is a universal principle. Man, he says each person. Notice how he says that. Man, it's applicable to every man, every woman. Man, that's why he said each one. Man, the source of our temptation is not God. It's not even the object in which we're trying to uh, be lured to or we become fixated with. Man, it is our desire itself. Man, it's our desire which has made some sin uh, uh, appear more appealing to us and, and, and appear more appealing rather than his righteousness or his holiness. But this is a good thing, all right? There's good news in this because I feel like we can do something about this temptation since it comes from within us. See, if it came from an outside source, maybe we couldn't do anything about it. But listen to this. Man, the original word in the text, whether your uh, translation uh, translates it as desire or lust, man, it is strong. It is compelling. But we got to understand that that doesn't mean every strong desire is a sinful desire. Man, uh, in, in Scripture, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, If any man aspires to be the officer of overseer or elder, it is a fine work he desires to do. We got to understand, like, uh, man, as somebody desiring to be in that position, that's not wrong, all right? But, but, but when a man's depravity turns his desire into a craving for something that God has forbidden, then it becomes an idol in which his life is then separated from God with that desire. So we got to understand the difference in that. Man, James begins to kind of take this verse and then describe the dynamics of this temptation And and, and listen to what he says. He says, uh, the temptation occurs when a person allows that desire to take control of him and and, kind of like, man, take over his thinking process. Man, James uses 
a ton of these passive verbs in this uh, section because, man, the person is passively allowing himself to be controlled by his feelings and lust. I mean, he uses these words that, man, I, I think we can relate to. Like, he says these words like lured and enticed. And so the first word that he says is lured, which literally means to be drawn or dragged out. I mean, this person is not thinking rationally. I mean, he's being dragged out of his mind. He is responding emotionally. You might say that he's being dragged out of his mind and having been drawn out of the intensity of his illicit feelings for something or, or someone else. Man, he is lured in that direction. Secondly, the text says he is enticed. Man, both of those words are actually fishing terms. And that's crazy. Like, I don't like to fish, but I know several people out here who like to fish and they're great at it. Man, Mr. Crawford, all right, my man Timer, uh, Charlie Brown, how, how do I know? Because I've seen the, the fruits of their labor, all right? Man, like they go fishing and they bring something back to put in the freezer to then fry later, all right? And, uh, but here's the thing, man, when we talk about lured and enticed, man, they're, they're fishing terms, which means to catch something with bait. I mean, the only thing I liked about fishing growing up was how shiny and how sparkly some of those baits were. You know what I'm talking about? Like to get into somebody's tackle box, not the stink bait, that's gross, all right? But to get in there and find those spinners, man, I, maybe I'm just like not very smart. I got the mindset of a fish because I'm like, man, ooh, ah. And those little jelly worms, right, that are sparkly, and they got the tails, and the tails got tails. And I'm like, whoa, look at this. <laughs> and, and, and then the bobber that, no, okay, all right, so all this stuff, all right. And so, like, here's the thing. Man, we got to understand, like, fish, especially trout, check this out. They have a sense of smell that is 500 times greater than a man's sense of smell. Man, they tend to be leery of bait. And in fact, man, they'll make several passes by the bait before they chomp on it. And, and here's the crazy thing. Sometimes they'll even brush up against it with their bodies before they bite it. But if a fish is super hungry, man, or if the object of their attention is just like making them, you know, like maybe it's flashy, maybe it's glittery, uh, maybe they're like a five-year-old me, I, I, I don't know. But, 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 but here's the thing, man, sometimes if it makes the right kind of movement, it triggers an instinctive reaction that their brains can't help, and they will bite on that bait. They'll swallow that bait, and there they have hook, line, and sinker, as they say, right? I mean, the hook sets into that fish's flesh, right? And the fisherman starts reeling them in towards the net. And the fish was perfectly free to ignore that bait and perfectly free to swim in the opposite direction. That's like what all the fish do with my bait, all right? Uh, man, they swim in the opposite direction. But man, this, this time, man, the, the, the fish did not do that. And so having decided the potential pleasure of consuming the bait was worth the risk and then having swallowed it, Man, the escape was no longer possible, right? Man, they're hooked. They're there. The whole transaction was based on deception. Man, we can relate to that, guys, because there's times that we fall into the trap of sin because, man, starting with this desire, we're lured. Man, we're enticed. 
and we're drawn out of our mind to pursue something that can never really satisfy us anyway. Check this out. Remember that bait I was talking about, that little spinner bait or that little, that, that, that like little jelly worm? If you could just give that to a fish, like no hook, you know, in the process, man, that does not do anything for that fish. Like it doesn't satisfy that fish. That fish is not really craving like plastic and metal, all right? Man, that fish is being enticed and it's all happening, uh, you know, based on deception. Man, it could have never satisfied the fish anyway, even if it weren't connected to that hook. Man, uh, it's no good for the fish. And in the same way, man, when man willfully responds to this overwhelming desire to do things which God has forbidden, man, he sets in motion a series of tragic consequences. Man, God knows that whatever the bait was that snagged and trapped this man, man, it could have never satisfied his soul the way that only Christ can. But the person still made the decision, still got trapped by it, and couldn't let go. And so now he must face the consequences. And meanwhile, he's compromised this like relationship with God, which could indeed satisfy the true relationship, the thing that actually brings satisfaction. We got to be careful, church. Like, I don't think there's any time that we go from here and saying, man, I will never fall into those traps. And then suddenly we're here and we're drowning in sin. The problem is to get from one point to another, man, we just take these small steps, right? That's what's crazy. Man, that's how this luring, this enticing works. Man, I, I heard it said this summer. I thought this was cool because I can relate. Man, in our living room, there's like one clock that's not digital. Like, like all our other clocks are digital, but there's this one clock that, you know, it's still got like the, the, the hands and the second hand. And, you know, it's the only clock I can't tell time on, all right, in my house, all right? But, but I came to find out that when it's time to get our kids out of the house and to school, man, I can't rely on that clock because that clock is like five minutes slow. And here's the thing, if it was 30 minutes slow, if it was like an hour off, if it was like not even working and just always said 8 p.m., I would know, don't believe that clock, all right? But that clock is so close to the real time that it's so simple to fall subject to that clock's lie. I mean, it's not telling the right time. And the problem is sometimes we stand here and we fall for Satan's five-minute lie. It's so close to the real thing. And then we fall for another five-minute lie. And then we fall for another five-minute lie until we find ourselves all the way over here. So step number three is recognize the danger, all right? Man, we talk about, man, we need to, step one, we need to reject the lie. Step two, realize the truth. But right here in step three, we got to recognize the danger. Man, what we're talking about is so serious. Listen to what it says in verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Man, in its own, like on that, like verse 15, like by itself, it seems a little odd, all right? But when we read it in context, in the bigger picture of the first chapter of the book of James, then we understand that James portrays 
an inevitable sequence of events here that should serve as a warning to avoid temptation. And, and what's neat is it's the flip side of the sequence that we see earlier in verses 2, 3, and 4 when he says, testing of our faith produces endurance and endurance leads to spiritual maturity, all right? This is the flip side of that. This says, man, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and then sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And in verse 14, we see the temptation began with this desire, enticing somebody, luring them. But now we see in verse 15 something that's even crazier. Man, something that's so ugly, this word sin comes to life within him, producing two more generations of evil, each worse than the desire itself. Man, I once heard it kind of explained like this, and, and, and I've never seen it, all right? So it was only explained to me. Maybe some of y'all can relate, but, but, but this man, he, he explained the process, and he compared it to one of those old ice machines. Man, the kind that you would have to walk up to and you would drop a quarter in. Anybody ever see one of those things? Man, you would drop the quarter in and all of a sudden, man, the thing would start rumbling and it would start shaking and out popped man, a 10-pound block of ice. Man, here's the thing. When you drop that quarter in, there was no button to then select. Like, it was automatic. Like, you drop the button in, and as soon as it went through that slot, man, it starts rumbling. It starts trying to crank out this ice. Man, it was immediate. There was no way to change your mind. There was no way to cancel the order. As soon as the quarter was in the slot, the ice was on its way. And all that rumbling, all that shaking guaranteed that it would come. And in the same way, once we open up our hearts to these desires, man, the consequences begin. Man, they're, they're, they're virtually irrevocable, all right? But in this case, those consequences are sin. Man, they're death. It's not just a block of ice. Man, James is talking about how someone has knowingly defied God's will and that, man, has set a spiritual dynamic into motion that will inevitably end in death. Man, is it absolutely impossible to stop the process? No. Repentance will stop the process at any point along the way. Almost like if you pulled the plug out of the wall, that would stop that ice machine from producing that ice. But the longer we wait, the harder it gets to repent and turn around. And even repenting won't eliminate the feeling of shame that sometimes, uh, you know, still resides. But it can, however, preempt our sin from growing into a full-blown life characteristic, all right? Man, from this full-blown grown-up version of death that it, that it talks about, the actual sequence outlined by James, man, talks about that it's just a desire, Then it conceives, and it gives birth into sin, and that sin grows up to produce death. Man, we got to understand that simple pleasure is always tainted with compromise by the knowledge that it contains these hidden hooks that lead to death in all shapes and all forms. And so, man, if you need something practical to hold on to, Man, here's some suggestions in dealing effectively with temptations. Number one, and be honest with yourself about where you're vulnerable. Man, don't set yourself up to fail. 
Students, man, if your phone is your stumbling block, if, if that's where you stumble, man, don't bring your phone into your bedroom with you at night. Man, if you can't help but being in, enticed by the television, then maybe if you get in late, then the very first thing you should not do is, man, let me just surf through all the channels at 1230 at night. Let me just go ahead and see if there's any, you know, anything out there that's entertaining. Because here's what will happen. Click, 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 and then suddenly you land on something that seems enticing and your thumb gets paralyzed. All of a sudden, you can't click any longer. Man, you ought to be honest with yourself about your vulnerabilities, spiritually speaking. Man, our flesh is our Achilles heel. Man, that's what led Paul to say in Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of this death? The apostle Paul. And Christ says, man, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, keep watching, keep praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Man, second thing, if you're trying to battle temptation, man, arm yourself beforehand by renewing your mind. Man, one of my favorite verses is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and it says, don't be conformed to this world. Like, stop copying the things that our culture does. It says, but instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good, pleasing, and acceptable and perfect. Man, this is where we get a jump on temptation Man, uh, it appeals to our feelings, which are so hard to control. However, the renewing of our minds preempts those feelings. Man, we got to allow God to renew our minds every day. Man, in Psalm chapter 119, verses 9, 10, and 11, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We know the scripture. Then we understand how powerful his word is. Man, let's, let's lash on to it. And in addition, man, we can also program our minds with the good things that we're uh, supposed to. Because Paul says in Philippians to the church of Philippi in chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, man, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Man, if we're trying to beat temptation, man, form the right relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? Man, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, it says in Ephesians 5, verses 18 and 19, be, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making the melody with your heart to your Lord. Man, in Galatians 5, 16, man, uh, Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Same, same word right there translated. Man, lastly, when you fall into sin, when, because you will, right? When you fall into sin, run back to Christ. Run back to Christ because he's your 
great high priest. Love the encouragement in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Check that out. Man, Christ, our high priest, he knows exactly our struggles. He knows exactly what we're battling. It says, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Whoa, wait a minute. Not only does he understand, but he's been tempted in the same way, but it doesn't stop there, yet without sin. That's who I want on my side. That's who I want to run to. The person who knows exactly what I'm trying to defeat. I mean, the person who knows my struggles, who actually has been tempted in the same way, but did not succumb to sin, but came out victoriously. And then in verse 16, it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. And we talked about three things. And we talked about rejecting the lie. We talked about realizing the truth. And, and, and then we talked about recognizing the danger, all right? And then we're going to close with this. Man, we got to remember the victory. Man, the, the final thing that I want to tell you is found in verse 16. Don't be deceived. And then he goes on to verse 17, and he says, man, every single good gift comes from the Lord. Man, we could talk about temptation and we could leave here like, man, I'm a horrible person. I'm not trying to follow Christ, but I'm getting beat up by, by all this temptation. I know I don't need to blame God, but now I'm just blaming myself and, and, and you're just walking out like with your head down low. No, as believers, we're going to walk out with our head held high because we got to remember the victory don't be deceived. Every good gift comes from the Lord. And we talk about good gifts, man, let's talk about the greatest gift that he gave. Let's talk about how he sent his son to die in our place, the ultimate sacrifice. Man, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says, be sober-minded, be alert, like be on the lookout, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And when we talk about Satan, man, it's no joke who we're dealing with, right? But we got to remember the victory. And what I'm talking about is this right here. I'm not one to give the enemy more credit than he deserves. Yes, he is a prowling lion, but he's a lion on a leash. Man, he has being contained. There are times, though, I still struggle with this. Like, I can't get over the fact that this leashed lion is trying to make a mess out of my life and out of the lives of all those people that I love. And, and, and whatever I do, man, I, I feel like it's not enough, but it doesn't have to be enough because Christ did everything, and that's enough. So whatever you do, don't let Satan gain a foothold. Man, Satan thinks that he's winning the battle, but we need to remind him that he's already lost the war. Man, how do I know that? Because our pastor challenged everybody on staff to read the Bible in 90 days. I was like, are you serious? Man, I called it B90X, all right, trying to get buff in the Word, all right? And, and, and here's the thing. I'm going to be honest. Like, he did it. Carol B. did it. Miss Carol, like, Denise, like, man, Jesse did it. But, but, but then I started reflecting. You know what? When we renovated the church, they said nine months. And we decided to stretch it into 20 months. 
And because I I never want to forget what the Lord has done through this process, so I want to stretch those 90 days into 200, you know what I'm saying? But but that's beside the point. Man, we know the story, right? We know how to book in, spoiler alert, Jesus wins. He comes out victorious. Man, we don't have to live in defeat. We don't have to walk out of here with our heads down low. Church, are we ready to stop trying to do this alone and instead stand together before Satan and say, man, you're messing with the wrong group of believers. Man, are we willing to come together and say, man, we're not taking your shenanigans today and we're not putting up with them tomorrow either. If he's not intimidated by us, that's okay because he doesn't think we're strong. That's okay because we're not but we can introduce him to three very important people. And I'm not talking about me, myself, and I. I'm talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Introduce him to the Trinity, all right? Those three don't play, right? God spoke and created everything with his words. Jesus was crucified and buried, and then on the third day, he broke up out of his own grave, and he looked death in the face and said, do you even live, bro? When the Holy Spirit moves, the whole earth trembles like like they don't mess around. And that's the same power that's dwelling inside us as believers. We ought to come together. We ought to be a force that's that, 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 that is strong because not only are we standing together like a fortress, but we're standing on the promises of our Lord to keep him away from our kids, to keep him out of our marriages, and, and, and to keep him out of the job site, man, to keep him out of our communities. Man, we're holding up every weapon that God has issued to us, the full armor of God covered head to toe so that when it's all over but the shouting, we'll still be standing on our feet. Man, that's who we are. Believers who are so full of Jesus that trying to look at us in a dark alley, man, Satan better turn around and run away. Are you willing to say, not today, Satan? Not today and not tomorrow either. Man, I want to pray for us. And uh, man, as I pray, man, I, I, I want to ask you to, 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 to start processing some of the things that we talked about. Man, if you're struggling with something and you need uh, prayer, there's going to be elders up front to pray with. Man, if you uh, man, ha- have been like walking this walk with our church, but you haven't committed to like fellowship uh, by membership and you say, man, I want to start that conversation today. Man, you can do that. Man, if there's somebody in this room that says, hey, this is great. Man, I want to stand up. <laughs> to my temptation, but before I do that, man, I gotta, I gotta give my life to Christ. Man, you can do that today. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, man, we ask that you would take the truth that we talked about today. God, we ask that you would put it to work in our lives. God, we pray that the things that we talked about just wouldn't be in conversation, but we would be willing to walk them out. God, there's people in this room, God, we have struggles. Man, it's not just certain people, like we all have them. But God, there's some of us that, man, we have a heavenly father to lean upon. Man, we have your arms to run to, man, in these times of trials. God, there's others of us, man, we don't have a relationship with you. God, we've been trying to do it on our own. God, we might have, like, said we, 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 we might have made some statement when we were younger, but, man, there's no fruit to that. 
God, we haven't grown. God, we haven't taken any steps. God, if there's somebody in here that, man, needs to pray with somebody, man, let them feel the comfort that we have people ready and willing to pray for them. God, if there's somebody in here that, that wants some type of accountability, let them know that we have people ready and willing to, to walk alongside these struggles with them. God, if there's somebody that needs like to be pulled up out of this mess, God, let them know that we got some programs that are put in place to help them with these hurts and these habits and these hangups. God, if there's families here that have been checking out churches, but God, they're not plugged into the church. God, I pray that they would take that step. God, that next step to say, man, um, I want to have a conversation to say, what does it look like to be a part of this church? Man, what's expected of me? God, uh, like, what can I do for them? A, a, a real conversation to do real ministry. God, I pray that if there's anybody in here that needs encouraging words, God, that, that they would seek those. Not just from somebody that's nice, God, but from you, from your scripture, from your truth. Man, the altar is open, God. Man, I pray that as we uh, have this time of reflection, God, that we will reflect on your word, that we will sing truth back to you. And God, if there's anything that we need to come talk about, God, we would be willing to do so. In your name we pray. Amen.